Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It feels like it's the second hour of the show. <laughs> Actually, it feels like it's the 15th hour of the show. I've had a long day. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. I was the voice of God today at the uh, inaugural ceremonies for Georgia's 83rd governor, Brian Kemp. Uh, the day had concluded with a review of the troops at Liberty Plaza outside the state capitol. Uh, gave a very good speech. It's a very interesting day that's shaping up in Georgia politics. I've got the scoop for you guys. Stick around. Um, so l- let me start with Brian Kemp's inaugural address. Uh, there, he clearly is signaling unity. In fact, he he had a, some really good lines in the speech. In fact, I, I do me a favor. You can test my server. Uh, by going to the resurgent.com, we have updated the site. Uh, brand new design as of noon today. A little stressful to be doing what I was doing today and also launching the new site. But uh, top story right now is about uh, the governor's inaugural. He, he said elections can rip us apart and that he wants to put people ahead of politics and that he will fight for all Georgians, not just the ones who voted for him. Uh, really strong theme there for the governor. Uh, yes, it sounds really good to say governor now, uh, governor Kemp, uh, really does sound good to say governor Kemp, uh, but really strong unifying themes in his message. Uh, he called Georgia, the Hollywood of the South, uh, and that we would soon be the, the cyber tech capital of the nation or some such, I forget exactly the, the phrase he used. But what I I really appreciated was he also was very insistent that he was not going to leave existing Georgia small businesses behind to try to lure Fortune 500 companies to Georgia. Uh, One word that was not mentioned during Kemp's address that I think will be notable to many in the press uh, and to the Democrats was Trump. Didn't thank him, didn't mention him, uh, mentioned Nathan Deal a number of times. It was a purely Georgia address. I think it was very much him signaling that he wanted to try to build bridges and unify people. The governor framed his entire speech around his time uh, playing football for Coach Henderson, very popular coach in the state for decades, only recently died, uh, a a huge hero in the state. Louis Grizzard once wrote about him. 
and others. Uh, you may not have heard of him, but being from Middle Georgia, where he was from, I have uh, heard about him a lot. He also went to Athens, where Kemp uh, played for him, and was famous for integrating football teams and insisting that the white and black players uh, get along and play as one team. Uh, Kemp weaving that through his speech, I think, was understood by many uh, to be him moving beyond the divisiveness of the election, wanting to be a governor for all people. What was also very, very notable was that some of the freshman Democrats in the state legislature did not applaud and did not stand. Uh, they protested in their behavior. There were protesters outside during the inaugural celebration. Uh, there were Democratic Socialists of America on Georgia Tech's campus over the weekend and today at the campus, some waving rainbow flags, some calling for him to resign before he was even sworn in. The Democrats are not giddy, giving this up. In fact, the Democratic Party in Georgia was throwing punches through the weekend on social media and today claiming that he would be Georgia's asterisk governor forever, which is nonsense. He will be the governor, but they are playing to divisions and want to keep people divided. They think that's their path to victory in 2020 in the legislature, 2022 in the governor's mansion. We'll get into all of this and the president, the Russian news, the shutdown and more. Yeah, y'all seriously go to the resurgent.com. Uh, see if you can overwhelm my server. <laughs> I'm very proud of the site. The, the designers did an excellent job. Um, so there will be some Republicans and some conservatives who think that Brian Kemp needs to fight like Donald Trump, needs to fight, 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 be in their face all the time, the nonstop campaign. And he is signaling that he's going to be more in the vein of previous governors. He will have something unique. He will be the first uh, lifelong Republican to take office since Reconstruction. Governors deal in Purdue. Both Republicans were actually conservative Democrats who became Republicans. Uh, Kemp will be a lifelong Republican taking office. Uh, it just a, an interesting thing that sets him apart. What I think is is really notable here is how some of these freshman Democrats. There were uh, Democratic leaders were in the inaugural today were already complaining about him. They were over the state house this morning and state senate complaining about some of their new freshman colleagues who have come in as voices of la resistance, and they want to fight, 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 fight. Uh, they think they can change the party and change the uh, environment, the culture under the gold dome. They want to be much more combative than Democrats in the past. They don't want to go along to get along. If anything, they, they are inspired by Stacey Abrams' campaign to want to be further to the left and fight harder. And I don't know that that's going to work for him. And for the Republicans and conservatives out there who are saying Brian Kemp needs to be Donald Trump and he needs to fight, 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 fight and everything, I actually think him showing himself to be his own man, showing himself to be conciliatory, showing himself to reach across the aisle, showing himself to be able to find common ground where common ground can be found. I mean, he, he largely acknowledged there will be issues on which they will disagree. There will be big fights. Uh, education will probably be one of them, but he hopes they can unite around paying teachers and fully funding K through 12. Uh, although they have other issues. He also wants to focus on building small businesses in the state and cutting taxes, which the Democrats won't go along with. But but where there's common ground, find common ground. And these incoming freshman Democrats are signaling very strongly 
that they want to fight about everything. They want to fight the Democrats. They want to fight the Republicans. They want to fight the governor. Uh, they want to fight anyone. And again, some of them would not stand, would not applaud, would would not engage in anything conciliatory during Brian Kemp's speech. Uh, Kemp, one of the things he started with was talking, gave a list of Georgians who moved the state forward. And he started with Martin Luther King Jr. And again, some of those freshman Democrats didn't clap for that. He then went from Martin Luther King Jr. to Clarence Thomas. Yes. In fact, almost every single one he mentioned in his list, with the exception of Greg Allman and a couple others, were uh, were black. Tried to be very, very inclusive there. The, the judge from Trutland County, a probate judge who swore him in, was black. The preacher who gave the benediction was as well. He tried to make it um, multiracial, multi-ethnic tried to relate to people as Georgians. He noted that we seem to be very divided, uh, white, black, rural, urban, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, but there's so much that unites us, and he wants to focus on what unites us. I thought he did a very good job on that. I think uh, his message was reassuring to the Senate and House Democratic leaders, even if it was not reassuring to the uh, freshman Democrats who want to fight. I, it's just, y'all, it was so funny hearing the grumbling from the state House and Senate Democratic leadership over these incoming freshman Democrats. They got a real problem. Some of these suburban Democrats have misread why they got elected. They got elected largely because of Donald Trump and people's dislike of Trump, and they want to behave like Donald Trump. So many of the people in the suburbs who didn't vote for Brian Kemp presumed he was going to govern like Donald Trump, he was going to be like Donald Trump, and they were going to be as emotionally exhausted from Georgia's governor as they are for the president. And today he showed them he's going to be his own man. He's not going to be the second coming of Donald Trump. And these Democratic activists turned legislators want to be the Democratic version of Donald Trump, I suspect they're going to be burning out the suburbs way sooner than Brian Kemp burns out the suburbs. Jonathan Last of the Sub Beacon podcast recommended an app to me for my iPhone for my kids a while back. My kids had sound machines, and you know I could hear the sound machines coming from down the hall, and it didn't seem like they were working. And the kids were staying up late at night. My wife staying up as well. So he recommended an app called Calm. And you know what? Everybody in the house uses it now. It's essentially an app on your phone, your iPad, your other electronic device where you can download and listen to either meditations, music, stories that help you go to sleep, help you relax. And it has become a huge hit. In fact, it's the number one app to help you sleep, meditate, and relax. And I can tell you from personal testimony now, my family actually uses it. Uh, I've got a 10-year-old, I've got a 13-year-old, and my wife all of whom are now regular users of Calm. If you go to calm.com slash Eric, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. It includes hundreds of hours of programs, including guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. There are sleep stories that are bedtime stories for adults. They're designed to help you relax and doze off. You can listen to uh, Stephen Fry. You can listen to Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. Even Bob Ross is there. And there's soothing music, breathing exercises, gentle stretches. For a limited time, 
You get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Give yourself the gift of Calm in a happy, healthy 2019. It is 25 after the hour, and this is Eric Erickson in Atlanta's Evening News. We're starting late tonight because I was the voice of God announcer type person for the inaugural ceremonies this afternoon. Uh, Governor Kemp's uh, staff asked if I would do it a couple of weeks ago. Was very happy to do it. Uh, It was a long day. I'll go into some of the details later. But first, I got to tell you, my wife and I, we don't really do New Year's resolutions. We have things we want to do. Like, for example, I asked you guys about Dave Ramsey uh, last week and just overwhelmed with people saying, do it, do it. I think we're going to do the the Dave Ramsey thing. But we we just we don't do resolutions because, you know, I'm a procrastinator. You you start thinking about your resolution on January 2nd. You're like, "Ah, I got 364 days before I have to worry about this again. So just start resolutions. You want to know easy, just take small wins and start doing them. And a great small one is just brush your teeth twice a day. You know, brush them good with a Quip Electric toothbrush. Yes, my friends, this is an ad for Quip because they're awesome. And a lot of you gave them as stocking stuffers for Christmas. I know because they came back wanting me to do more endorsements. I'm happy to because they've been my toothbrush for over two years now that the calendar has rolled on. And there's a great way to get Quip. It's just $25 by going to getquip.com slash Erickson right now. You can get your first brush head refill pack for free. What's that? Well, every three months. In fact, I got mine today. As I, Actually, yesterday. I haven't been home today. Yesterday, I got it. New brush head with a battery. New battery. Every three months, you get it, and your first one comes free from Quip. You go get your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Erickson. Go get a new toothbrush, folks. Start the new year right. So I was told by the governor's team that I needed to be at uh, McCamish. I was saying McCamish, McCamish, McCamish Pavilion today at 1130 a.m. And then over the weekend, the production crew emailed me and said I needed to be there at 630 this morning for a technical walkthrough. I thought, okay, I'll get a hotel room Sunday night. Well, I couldn't get a hotel room on Sunday night. You got the the blocks are already starting to be sold out for the Super Bowl for hotels. Believe it or not, yes, I, I was flabbergasted by that. Uh, but then the the General Assembly's meeting. So you had the General Assembly meeting. You had the inauguration. It was almost impossible to get a hotel room. I finally found one. Uh, finally was able to get to sleep after one o'clock in the morning. Had to be there at six thirty this morning. Got there at six fifteen. Uh, didn't have a parking pass for me in the secured lot. Had to track that down. And then the technical walkthrough never happened. When they turned the lights on, the lights were at such an angle that they were blinding people looking at the teleprompter. So they had to adjust the lighting in the teleprompters. And by the time that was over, they had to go off to the prayer service. So I didn't actually have to be there at 630. So I came to the office and sat, went to Panera Bread, grabbed a bacon spinach souffle, lots of coffee, came here, and then went back at 1130 and was there from 1130 until after four and then came back here to get ready to talk to you guys. It was a very, very busy day. It was a lot of fun, though. It was just kind of neat. I, I mean, you, you had a, it was a who's who of there. You had all the leading Democrats and Republicans in the state. Uh, Governor Joe Frank Harris was there. Governor Deal was there. 
Uh, Lieutenant Governor Cagle was there. Uh, Lieutenant, obviously, all the the incoming elected officials, the people who were still serving. The Georgia Court of Appeals was there. The Supreme Court was there. It was a very, I mean, it's it's the big day for Georgia politicians every four years. Now, the morning had the legislature meeting at the state capitol. They kicked off the state, the General Assembly, and they were all sworn in there uh, in the House and the Senate by their respective presiding officers. And then they came over for for the day for the governor and the statewide officers, the new lieutenant governor, and the rest. Uh, it was very, very cool. Now, when we come back, I will take your questions on this and politics. I'm beat, so I can rely on phone calls tonight. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, I, I, you know, Chris Chandler and I were just talking about this off air. Uh, I do not generally like to be in huge crowds doing stuff like that uh, today, being be the master ceremonies for the event. It's just uh, too many people uh, don't like it, don't like being in big crowds like that. And, and then, of course, it's big crowds of politicians. So uh, you, you got all the people who who I've talked about on the radio and it could be awkward. Wasn't that case today, though, um, because I was I was positioned. But still, um, it, there was a there was a sentiment uh, from some of the activists who were there who feel already a little bit uh, worried that even though it was largely socially conservative rural voters who got Kemp elected, that they're not going to get anything out of this legislative session. Uh, And I think that is a concern not on the, the Brian Kemp front, but really on the state legislature front, that particularly David Ralston is signaling he intends to block Pretty much any socially conservative legislation that he thinks might be divisive and harm Republicans in the suburbs. And I, I just, again, I really do think that Republicans and Democrats alike are misreading the 2018 election, which I think had so much to do with the personality of Donald Trump and those who were perceived as being tied to Donald Trump more than the actual policies. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but you can't convince me that the suburbs suddenly woke up liberal on Election Day that they're suddenly in favor of massively high taxes and uh, suddenly in favor of, of an explosion of transgender rights and suddenly in favor of forcing Christian butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers to provide goods and services for um, for, for gay weddings. I just I, – I don't think that happened. I think what happened is they have a profound dislike for the president. They decided that Brian Kemp and was too close to him and that the Republicans weren't holding him accountable – and they wanted to change that dynamic, and they won at the congressional front. They came close to winning on the gubernatorial front, and I just think that what uh, Speaker Ralston and Republicans in the state legislature are doing is essentially they are funneling the frustrations of the Republican voters in Georgia to the point that we will see the next Republican running for governor in Georgia who gets the nomination be a pox on both your house Trump type. Because if you keep having conservative voters elect you to keep you in power and you keep giving them the middle finger 
in policy wins, then at some point they're going to raise the finger back at you and say a pox on your house too. And you're going to see someone run successfully who runs on the repeated betrayals of Republicans in the state to actually support the initiatives they claim they are going to support. And RIFRA, I think, is is chief among them, particularly as the state attracts more and more out-of-state uh, business that brings in people to the state who are very much left of center and take a, a my way or the highway. I want to make this state just like the, the left-wing state I just left. You're going to have these divides more. And kudos to the governor for wanting to find the common shared ground, but there are divisions, and the Republicans in the legislature are going to have to pick a side. And if they don't pick the side of the voters who keep voting for them, well, there's going to be hell to pay for them. Now, let's go to the phones. Um, Jim in Sandy Springs, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Hey there. Hi. Uh, I just had an epiphany over the weekend that just, as I watch more and more of the coverage of the um, the stalemate with the border, it just seems like it's the Kavanaugh hearings all over again. Do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely to a, the extent that the Democrats and the Republicans flat out no longer trust each other uh, and can't, are not talking at the same level. It's like they're having two separate conversations. And yeah. the level of ill will between them is off the charts right now on the shutdown. By the way, the president is signaling he, that he's he's not giving that he's not going to reopen the government, that he sees no reason to reopen the government. And by the way, it's going to cost more in the next two. If the if the shutdown continues another two weeks, it will e- cost economically more for the shutdown than for his border wall. And I suspect he's going to get to that point. I want to spend some time at the top of the hour, spend a little more time talking about this issue um, because I think I know what the president needs to do to win the shutdown, and we can talk about it. Right now, though, I want to go to Sam in Woodstock. You're next. Welcome. Evening, Eric. I had two questions about uh, Kemp's inauguration. Yep. The first was, during his oath of office, Kemp's Bible was open, so I was wondering what verse he had his hand on. And the second question was, Kemp said he wanted Georgia to be the cyber capital of the world. And my question is, how can Georgia beat Silicon Valley and London? Ah, well, you know, we we can have aspirations as a state, I I suppose. Um, You know what? I've got the answer for you. Actually, Greg Bluestein has the answer for you. Um, Give me one second, because I got it here in his uh, scripture verse. According, he also mentioned it. It was Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. That was the scripture reference. Very unifying. Yeah, very unifying. That was the theme they wanted to go to. Thanks very much for the phone call. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK is the number. It's 54 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, next hour, we got an extended clock, uh, so I will rely on your phone calls. I do want to talk about the president, the shutdown in Russia, uh, this this New York Times story over the weekend, and now this news about the president and, and the translator and whatnot. We do need to delve into that. Um, I really think it speaks volumes about the FBI and not a lot about the president, but we'll get there. Uh, right now, though, I want to go to Dave calling from Atlanta. Welcome. Hi, Dave. Hey, uh 
like your comment. I, I think Kemp should have made a – I think he made a big mistake back in October that Kemp should have strenuously, strenuously decried State C. Adrams – excuse me, I'm a little nervous – portraying him as unethical in his role as Secretary of State, slurred his character, and more importantly, it's weakened him as governor – well, yeah, I don't know that it's weakened him as governor. In fact, I don't think that it has weakened him as governor. He only started at 2.30 this afternoon. Um, but I do think that it was a smear on his character, and I am I'm, am kind of shocked at the Democrats who just bought into it. What I will tell you, though, is that there wasn't a lot that Kemp could do. Um, the Abrams campaign and the Democrats in Georgia worked very, very, very hard on national media on the story to smear Kemp. Uh, it was Georgia reporters, particularly at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who were writing the pushback against all these attacks on Kemp. And you've got the AJC versus the entire national media. I mean, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, the AJC versus all of them. Uh, and the AJC, to their credit, did a very good job pushing back on how uh, fraudulent so many of these stories were. But there was only so much Kemp could do because uh, there was uh, there was such noise out there on the Democratic side. And uh, by the way, I do also think he was trying. He recognized that he was winning. And when he did win, he wanted to make very sure that uh, he looked very gubernatorial, uh, that he looked like governor. And I can't blame him on that front either. Uh, I think he was dealt a bad hand there. The Democrats clearly were coordinating on these issues, and uh, but he still won, and now he's governor. And his speech today set the tone of bridge building, and I suspect you're going to find a lot of national reporters find it very notable that he did not mention President Trump at all in his address. I assure you that's going to be mentioned in headlines, or at least in bodies of stories. When we come back, the shutdown continues, and the president in Russia, oh, and he's feeding Clemson hamburgers from Wendy's and pizza from Domino's tonight. It is 7 after 7 o'clock. I am Eric Erickson, and this is the second hour of Atlanta's Evening News. Coming to you late tonight because I was presiding over the inaugural festivities at uh, Georgia Tech earlier today. A uh, very big deal for Brian Kemp, a huge University of Georgia fan, to be sworn in at Georgia Tech. Uh, but it had to happen in Atlanta because Constitution and all of that. Um, I want to spend a few moments before I take your phone calls. I am beat. I've been... I got three and a half hours of sleep last night and had to be at the thing at 6.15 this morning. Um, had to come up from Macon, find a hotel room, which was not easy to do with the legislature convening today. And uh, so I will rely on your phone calls at 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Before I get there, though, I want to spend just a couple of moments on the Russia story. The New York Times is reporting that the FBI... Uh, we've known all along, those of us who paid attention, that this was always a counterintelligence investigation. It was never a criminal investigation by the FBI. It morphed into something criminal, um, but it started as a counterintelligence investigation to how Russia um, interfered with the American election. And the key here is that Russia wanted all sides 
uh, fighting uh, so that we would be distracted by the feuds amongst ourselves and the Russians could have some leeway to stretch their legs. Now, the New York Times wants you to know that after Donald Trump fired James Comey, the FBI began looking into the question of whether Donald Trump was a Russian plant, whether he was in the pocket of the Russians. And I I will tell you that there are times Donald Trump does things where I think maybe the P-tape is real. I mean, he he does some some things that I'm just uh, they're questionable, like, for example, uh, taking the translator's notes from his time with Vladimir Putin. Listen, y'all, I, I, I don't care what your position is on the president. I think we all need to acknowledge that the media loves the Russia story. The Democrats are convinced the man is a tool of Vladimir Putin, and sometimes he behaves in ways that gives them reason to believe so, where if he didn't do these things, they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't make it so easy on him. There's a problem there. All that said, though, all of that said, here's my unifying theory of 2018 or 2016. Both sides so hated and distrusted the other that they were not only willing to believe the worst, but they were able and willing to do whatever they could to stop the other person because they believed the worst. In Donald Trump's case, the people around him on the campaign trail were convinced Hillary was evil incarnate, that she had uh, ordered men to die in Benghazi, that she was willfully corrupt, and that she would stop at nothing to win. And so they were willing, because they believed she was willing to stop at nothing to win, they were willing to stop at nothing to defeat her, and that included collaborating with uh, WikiLeaks, an outlet of the Russians, and others. Not WikiLeaks, comma, and uh, an outlet of the Russians, comma, and others, but WikiLeaks, which is an outlet of the Russians, whether or not the Trump campaign knew it. They were willing to do what they needed to do to stop Hillary because they were convinced she was willing to do whatever she needed to do to win. On the Democratic side, uh, Barack Obama and the Clintons and the Democrats and the leadership of the FBI hated the very idea of Donald Trump. And when word began circulating that uh, there looks like there might have been people on the Trump team who had reached out to WikiLeaks, which is a tool of the Russians, then is Donald Trump collaborating with the Russians? And instead of concluding, nah, there's no way the man's an American, they believe the worst about Donald Trump. And so they were willingly led to investigate this as a counterintelligence investigation into Donald Trump being a stooge of Russia. And everything that they've done and every piece of evidence that's come by them, they've reviewed from the standpoint of believing the worst about Donald Trump, never giving him the benefit of the doubt. In the same way, Donald Trump's campaign never gave Hillary Clinton the benefit of the doubt. And so here we are now where the FBI launched a counterintelligence investigation into the president of the United States because the leadership of the FBI, the the Democrats involved in the investigation inside the FBI, and we do know there were a number of them who were partisan Democrats— They believed the worst about Donald Trump to begin with. They were absolutely convinced that Donald Trump was working with the Russians. And so when he fired James Comey over the Russian investigation, aha, proof, 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 proof. As opposed to 
the man was outraged at the very idea that the FBI would think he was some sort of traitor to his country. And you're darn right. He was going to fire the director of the FBI because the director of the FBI would not come out and publicly say that the president is not a traitor. When you believe the worst about the other side, this is where you get. And that's where the FBI got. I think it speaks more about them than it does the president of the United States. I have plenty of qualms and questions about the president's behavior. But I have a very hard time believing that this man is um, working for the Russians. The media now in covering this hates the president so bad that they are perfectly willing to believe he is a tool of the Russians. And I think that's unfortunate. Now, on to the shutdown. And again, we'll take your phone calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. The shutdown is now the longest in American history. And I think this is something the president has to win. I think he fundamentally has to win this. You, you know, okay, so I started to say, somebody tell my wife I'm going to be late getting home. But don't, don't, because I did that one time, and she got so mad at me by the time I got home because so many people had called her. <laughs> I did that with a friend of mine one time and just mentioned him on, on air. And I got this really, really nasty text message from him. I hope you never refer to me as a friend of yours again. <laughs> it just, it wasn't, I, I was, I did not, I wasn't even thinking. And people just had to call and, oh, did you know you got mentioned on the radio by Eric Erickson? It was kind of funny today at the inauguration, the number of people who came up to me and said, I recognize that voice. And I wanted to stay to all of them. And you still stayed? <laughs> Nonetheless, I digress. You know what? Why don't I go to Jerry, who's been waiting really patiently on the phones. Jerry, how are you? Good, Eric. How are you, sir? I'm great. Hey, real quick. Uh, I wanted to see what you thought about uh, shutting down the press room at the White House altogether. Not allowing, just just shut it down. Um, I mean, the left's the left's head would pop off. But I'll give you an example of why I'm asking you this question. An an example today, reporting that the president took the notes from the meeting with with, uh, Vladimir Putin. I just find it very difficult to believe that the president of the United States reached across the table and took the notes away from the interpreter. I think if we really looked into that, it's probably done all the time, as a matter of national security, because I'm sure that President Putin and President Trump discussed matters of national security, and those notes, they don't want them flying out nowhere. So I will uh, just... uh, Jerry, I'm glad you said that, and thanks very much for the phone call, because this is the latest story. If you haven't heard, the president apparently took the notes from the interpreter um, who was in the meeting with Vladimir Putin. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that, because... uh, why would the report, why would the translator, it was the translator's notes, why would the translator need to keep notes of the conversations, the private conversation between the presidents of the United States and Russia? Listen, I, I think I have a, a very good track record of not being a Trump apologist on this stuff, and I'm looking at this stuff somewhat appalled uh, that it's like the press is willfully, they've convinced themselves the president is a useful stooge of Vladimir Putin. They've convinced themselves the P-tape is real, and they've convinced themselves that as a result, uh, Vladimir Putin has blackmail on Donald Trump, and everything is read through that. 
does a translator normally keep notes of private conversations that she translates between the president and uh, the presidents of two countries without handing them over? Really? And the, I guess they're saying that they were destroyed, but they don't actually know. There's been no confirmation, actually, that they were destroyed. And see, what this really is, is they're trying to create scandal. This is, and you know, not, not to pivot too dramatically, but I really do think that these freshman Democrats in Georgia are going to do that. The, the Democratic Party in Georgia is going to try to create scandal, try to keep a perpetual scandal machine going against Brian Kemp. Uh, everything will be played to maximum outrage. They have a number of reporters in local outlets uh, across Georgia who are sympathetic to the claims of the Democrats, who will amplify their message. And they're not really worried about their truth. They're worried about uh, trying to keep people inflamed so that in four years from now, in two years from now against David Perdue and in four years against Brian Kemp, they can make a case. And the way they do it is they read about it and they, they translate everything in the worst possible frame, the worst possible angle to make people think something really dirty is going on here. And, I, you know, I was somewhat hesitant to even engage in the issue of the president in Russia because primarily I keep waiting for the story to be retracted. So many of these stories like this have been retracted. So many of these stories like this uh, have been designed around uh, salacious accusations. And so many of those stories have later been retracted or substantially revised that I'm very cautious to, to go further until we know more about the story. The media is just convinced just convinced that the Russians are blackmailing Donald Trump. And so every story gets looked at through that frame. And that's unfortunate. It's not a fair or honest or candid media. It is a media that has decided to become part of la resistance. They have joined with the left to undermine the president. They don't really care about the truth. They care about the narrative and any facts that are not part of the narrative, have to be discarded. And that includes facts like it is not normal for a translator to keep detailed meeting minutes without handing them over to the appropriate authorities. But try telling the media that, and they'll say you're in the tank for the president when all you're doing is just telling the truth. Jonathan Last of the Sub Beacon podcast recommended an app to me for my iPhone for my kids a while back. My kids had sound machines and, you know, I could hear the sound machines coming from down the hall and it didn't seem like they were working and the kids were staying up late at night. My wife staying up as well. So he recommended an app called Calm. And you know what? Everybody in the house uses it now. It's essentially an app on your phone, your iPad, your other electronic device where you can download and listen to either meditations, music, stories that help you go to sleep, help you relax. And it has become a huge hit. In fact, it's the number one app to help you sleep, meditate, and relax. And I can tell you from personal testimony now, my family actually uses it. Uh, I've got a 10-year-old, I've got a 13-year-old, and my wife, all of whom are now regular users of Calm. If you go to calm.com slash Eric, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. It includes hundreds of hours of programs, including guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day called the Daily Calm. There are sleep stories that are bedtime stories for adults. They're designed to help you relax and doze off. 
You can listen to uh, Stephen Fry. You can listen to Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. Even Bob Ross is there. And their soothing music, breathing exercises, gentle stretches. For a limited time, you get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Give yourself the gift of Calm in a happy, healthy 2019. Music to wake me up. <laughs> this is so great, y'all. So the the president has had the Clemson football team at the White House uh, because of the furloughs uh, over the government shutdown. The president uh, had his staff get money from his own private account and went to Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, and Domino's and had mounds and mounds piles of Big Macs and Whoppers and uh, double cheeseburgers from Wendy's and bacon cheeseburgers, which are the president's favorite, apparently, uh, and pizzas from Domino's and fries from McDonald's. And the the Clemson Tigers were apparently just amazed by all of it and thought it was the greatest. The, the media has been ridiculing the president all day for this, and uh, the the players themselves loved it. Uh, and also, according to Hunter Walker, who's a reporter for Yahoo News at the White House, uh, the president introduced Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin to the Clemson football team, saying, quote, he'd never be able to make the team. I can tell you that. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness gracious. OK, I got about a minute left. Uh, those of you on hold, stay on the line. Those of you who want to be on hold. Uh, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You know, I actually got a personalized 800 number. I think it's 877-97-ERIC that you can actually call, and it'll actually call the 800-WS or the 404-872-0750 number if you call it uh, for when I'm doing multiple other shows. I thought that was cool. I didn't know you could still do that. I really would have loved an actual 800 number, but those are all taken up by all sorts of people. So nonetheless, uh, you can call in. We'll take your call. Stay on hold. When we come back, I want to move back into Georgia politics as well and what we can expect from the legislature and the state of play for conservatives in the legislature. The piece of legislation, even conservatives in the state legislature don't want to go near with a 10-foot pole when we come back. Is 36 after 7 o'clock. I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Whose bell is this? There's a bell in here. Ah, oh, Von Hess. I, I see. I'm, I'm always in the office in the mornings and can't always listen to EVH. I, I, I want a bell. I want a bell, so when callers call in, they're super stupid. I can just say, oh, we got the idiot of the day here. Idiot of the day. Yeah, nonetheless, I digress. Uh, There is an issue in our state legislature. They do not want to touch it. Even the, the super conservatives among them, with rare exception, do not want to touch the issue. That is... 
extending legal protections to faith-based adoption agencies uh, so that they do not have to uh, allow to protect them from suit of same-sex uh, couples. Uh, there are a lot of Christian adoption agencies who will only adopt into two-parent heterosexual households um, because those comport with their faith. And in Texas, the Texas Republicans were willing, despite protests from Apple and Amazon and the like, uh, were willing to extend protections to faith-based adoption agencies. But the state of Georgia also, uh, Kansas and Oklahoma and Mississippi and a couple other states have also extended protections. But Georgia, e- even the, the conservatives of the legislature are saying there's just no point. Uh, it will never make it past David Ralston, so why bother? Um uh, you know, I just I go back to the issue of if you're not going, you you have a majority coalition that is largely held together by conservative voters. Uh, you have a the state of Texas is willing to do things like this. I, I I'm not sure why Georgia can't. Um, are are we less? I, I I maybe we are just less supportive of of people of faith in our society than, than people in Texas are. Uh, the, the blowback you get from House Republicans in Georgia on RIFRA is that, well, this isn't the 1990s and Bill Clinton's not president, meaning that, that we've evolved since then. Apparently, we've evolved to the point where we believe that the government should be able to impose itself on uh, Christians in ways that we didn't believe in the 1990s. Uh, all RIFRA does is say that you got to treat every part of the First Amendment with the same strict scrutiny standard under the Constitution. But it's just it, – it's mind-numbing to me that uh, the governor can get elected on massive support from conservative voters across the state in rural areas and exurban areas, and the state legislature and Republicans can hold their majorities in both the House and the Senate with conservative voters, and yet they can say, oh, no, we we got to suck up to the liberals. People in DeKalb County don't like us. People in Metro Atlanta that they're just they're not fans. We got we got to woo those people, as opposed to we got to dance with the ones who brung us. I I don't know. Um, what we're going to see this year is a real fight on Obamacare, because the federal government has not uh, repealed Obamacare. There is a real move in this state to embrace Obamacare. And with it, all of the federal subsidies that might come with it. And one of the compromises that is also moving forward in the state is on certificates of need, which I think is a terrible, terrible thing. Um, here, If you don't know what a certificate of need is, let, let me explain it to you real, real carefully. Um, a certificate of need is when you want to build a new medical facility. You have to show that there is a need for it. And oftentimes what happens is, and, and this is designed in a sense to protect nonprofit hospitals in the state uh, who don't want competition from for-profit facilities where all of the people who can pay go to the for-profit facility and all the poor people who can't pay go to the nonprofit facility. It's turf protection for the nonprofits, and I understand it. Uh, it also impedes the free market, and it, it delays expansion. We, we've got, for example, there's a, a Cancer Center of America, I believe it's called, in Noonan, a beautiful facility in Noonan. And they can only have so many beds in the place uh, because of lobbying from other f- medical facilities in the state of Georgia. 
They the, they want to shut out competition. That's what a certificate of need ultimately does is it shuts out competition. Uh, it is claimed that it, it protects nonprofits, but really what it does is it protects turf. And there is a proposal to scrap certificates of need. I think they should be scrapped. Uh, there is no justification, I think, at this point for them in the 21st century with free markets. Uh, but there is also, to get uh, these nonprofit hospitals to go along with it, dangling in front of them will expand Obamacare in the state of Georgia. I don't think we need to do that either, and all the entanglements with the federal government and, and massive spending that comes with that. Uh, surely there are better ways to deal with it. They also want to find money to pay teachers more without raising taxes. And you will recall Stacey Abrams on the campaign trail repeatedly mocked Brian Kemp and said there was no way he was going to be able to do this. He was never going to be able to keep his promise. And he wants to prove her wrong. And one of the ways he wants to prove her wrong is to find the money to pay teachers more money in the state without raising taxes. In fact, he wants to cut taxes and believes that he can spur economic growth uh, with streamlining of taxes in Georgia. Behind the scenes, other statewide Republican leaders have been urging him to be careful on this because they, they cite Nathan Deal and Sonny Perdue and believe they've been good stewards of the bottom line and that if we do any sort of bigger tax cuts, uh, that it could throw it all out of whack. If there's another economic recession, some of them think it's on the horizon. Uh, he would like to do that thinking that it will spur business and in spurring business will create more jobs and creating more jobs will offset the tax cuts by expanding the pool of people who actually pay taxes. Uh, very supply side there. And he may be on to something. But our legislature, particularly the Republican leaders in the legislature, particularly in the House of Representatives, are going to be very slow and cautious and don't want to do anything that might upset any suburban voter. Now, what this is all a signal for, and, and this you need to pay attention to, what this is all a signal for is protest movements. The resistance people, the freshman Democrats who are rocking the boats, the ones who refuse to clap for Brian Kemp, I suspect they know that uh, the Republican leadership in the legislature is so afraid of its own shadow and so afraid of being disliked that they can scream bloody murder about most anything now and get their way. Oh, you're going to be hated by, by Sandy Springs if you do this. And the Republicans will back down. Oh, you're going you're, you're to be hated by, by Brookhaven if you do this. And the Republicans will back down. Oh, you're going to be hated by Decatur and you'll do this. Well, Republicans won't back down on that one because they know they lost Decatur anyway. It's all these other areas that they're, they're worried about. But there's going to be pressure there. There's going to be the outrage groups there, the outrage and pressure groups. And you got Republicans pretty much signaling in the state legislature right now that any little bit of outrage from the left that may suggest to them they're not going to be liked by the the suburban voters. Well, idiot of the week right there. They're, they're, they're going to buy that from the left. Spells come in handy already. Uh, and conservatives are going to get sold out and they're just going to tell the conservatives, well, you got to keep voting for us or you're going to get a progressive. You're going to get a progressive. Actually, you know, those conservatives may actually rally in primaries. You never know. Look what happened to Trump. Let's go back to the phones. 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Michael in Atlanta. Welcome. Hi, Michael. Hey, hey my question was, I noticed earlier you were talking about um, comparing uh, Kemp to um, – Nathan Deal stand on the RIFRA. Um, you don't think that, the, that he should follow the same stance that Nathan Deal did? Well, you know, Deal said that if they adopted the federal language, he would sign it. Uh, if they adopted the federal language and he vetoed it, 
Kempis said if they would just adopt the federal language for Georgia, he would sign it. Uh, but now David Ralston is saying he's going to stop it in the state house. Uh, he would refuse to bring it to the floor. Uh, so the question is, will um, Brian Kemp's uh, rally the troops to be able to do this? Now, I, I've been told that Kemp's floor leaders, uh, the, the governor gets floor leaders to help push their agenda, that they're not big advocates of religious liberty. I personally think uh, they should wait until after the Super Bowl, because obviously the media will make it a huge spectacle if it's before the Super Bowl. But right after the Super Bowl, they should just rush it through uh, and sign it. And expect blowback and expect that it's not going to last. Uh, the blowback will not last long. Uh, it is notable, I think, that Amazon said passing RIFRA was one of the things that they didn't like that Georgia might do and wound up putting its facilities in Virginia and New York, two states that have RIFRA. I mean, the whole RIFRA, you know, there's a big story, actually, that oh, one of the Netflix series is is leaving North Carolina. And their public PR push is they're leaving North Carolina because that bath transgender bathroom bill that was partially repealed on a Democrat-Republican compromise, that part of it is still in effect, and that's just bigotry, and they have to leave North Carolina for South Carolina. That's actually not the reason they're leaving. They're leaving for economic reasons. They're leaving for tax credit reasons, things like that. But they're saying it's that, uh, and they're saying it's that because they're hoping to spook Georgia politicians on that front. Uh, and I guess, I mean, what we we already know about Georgia politicians is they love money more than they love uh, social conservative voters and certainly more than they love protecting Christians. So I, I'm not optimistic that any major socially conservative legislation will pass. They, they'll probably throw something out for us. They'll probably throw some oh pro-life measure that probably gets struck down in courts. They'll throw that out and say, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you happy on that front. Uh, we're not giving you any of this other stuff. We're not advancing in any of these other areas. We're, we're going to go in that direction. And, and they may very well do something like that. I am curious to see uh, where the governor leads on these issues. Uh, and my my thinking on this is that Brian Kemp would very much like to get some of these things done. Largely, he would like to get them done so these fights go away. And it is better to get them resolved in a non-election year this coming year than to wait until an election year where it becomes a huge issue. Might as well get it done this coming year and give it two years for people to see, see, nothing's nothing's changed. Uh, RIFRA, by the way, only affects the relationship between the state and um, the business doesn't affect contractual relations between the two. That would be the safe one to pass because you're you're assured the status quo is not going to change. So get it passed, and people will forget about it by the election unless you, you push, 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 and wait until the election year, which is what some of them think they ought to do, which I think is, is insane. But I don't think we're going to get much of anything. Uh, I think they're going to focus on health care. It's going to be the all-consuming distraction. The governor is going to try very, very hard to find money for teacher pay raises. He's going to hope the economy doesn't go wonky, and he wants to do some tax reform. And maybe they will get some of that done. Then, of course, on his front, there's also the the judicial front of continuing to put uh, conservatives on the bench and the regulatory policies of the state. I think he can have a real impact with. Uh, we are, I think, at a significant now in the position of having the first long-term, lifelong Republican governor elected. And he is a man who is deeply committed to the people who brought him to the dance, that is, the rural voters of Georgia. And he understands that he's got to really work for them. He made it very clear today he doesn't want to do a division of, of metro Atlanta versus rural areas. He wants to be able to find ways to 
find common ground and also to work on those initiatives. So transport initiatives in the metro area and also rural broadband and other issues in rural areas where make them economically competitive or at least economically attractive for people who want to move out there and right now can't because of the technology limitations of living out there. If he could pull all that off, he will be a very successful governor, but he's going to have Republicans in the legislature working against him. It is 55 after the hour, and I am exhausted, and I still got to go eat. (laughs) It's been a long day. It was actually really neat, though. So I didn't have to do anything really significant um, other than uh, pronounce some people's names right. And I apparently got the... Um, the dean of the counselor corps correct and got the majority leader of the state senate wrong, uh, according to a text. Uh, I don't know what I said. Is, is it not Mike Duggan? Or what, what did I what did I say wrong? I have no idea. But I I can um. Let's see where where's the script. So they sent me a script, and of course it kept changing. And then I had to highlight things. And then, for example, like uh, David Perdue came, and they weren't a hundred percent sure if he was going to be there. So they had a recognition for the members of the Georgia congressional delegation. I felt like I needed to add of the U.S. House, United States House of Representatives, and the United States Senate to make it clear that there were members from both there. Oh yeah, uh, Council General Miguel Lehman uh, Orteaga. Uh, the dean of the counselor corps. Uh, I apparently did better with his name than I did for Mike Duggan. I, I I don't. I thought it was Mike Duggan. Maybe I said Dunk. I don't know. Uh, but I think I got most of them right. Uh, Mike Dugan. Dugan. Oh, Dugan. Okay, thank you. A friend of mine just texted me. Well, listen. I, they didn't write out the names phonetically here. I was worried about struggling over names like uh, Representative David Clark. Make sure I got that one right. Spencer Fry, it's got an E on the end. So is it Fry or is it Frey? Because, you know, in Europe they would say Frey. And then Dominic Larickia, I actually looked it up, and looks like Speaker Ralston calls him uh, Larricky all the time. And I was like, is it Larricky or is it Larickia? I don't know. So I had to dig a little further and found a commercial and or a radio ad, and it was Lariki. I had just names, names. I had to pronounce them all today. All right. When we come back tomorrow, we'll be back on regular schedule 4 p.m. I will see you all then.